Some great songs that point us to Jesus. Well, uh, yesterday we had the opportunity with the youth ministry to go on a hiking trip. And the way this works is we, uh, we drive really far, and we hike for a really long time, and then we drive really far again. So that's what we did yesterday. We went to a place called Devil's Marble Yard, and uh, one of my good friends, that a parent, was like, youth pastors taking somebody, taking the teens to the Devil's Marble Yard? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. It's a really cool place out near uh, Lynchburg, Roanoke kind of area, and it's at, uh, you hike on this trail, and... When you, you get to this uh, clearing and you look up the side of this mountain and there's basically huge boulders all the way up the side of this mountain. It seems like out of nowhere and all clear and you kind of just take your own path to get to the very top of this mountain, maybe a quarter mile or something like that up, up the top. And uh, we had a lot of fun and um, no serious injuries and we brought almost all the kids back. So that was great. Um, <clears throat> So we took, you know, a good amount of kids out there, teens out there uh, yesterday. Had a, had a great time, and I got to, uh, somebody let me borrow a, um, a backpack that you can put a kid in. And so I got to carry my oldest daughter, three-year-old, all the way up the mountain. And it was, it was a lot of fun. A little scary points every once in a while, and uh, we made it back okay. But when you, you ever been to a place, maybe it's a hiking kind of place where, you, you hike to the top of a mountain, you have just a beautiful, scenic kind of overlook. Um, we got to do that yesterday. So we get up to the top of this mountain, or near the top at least. There's all these different kinds of overlooks that we got to enjoy. And, um, but at the same time, same time, I needed to be very careful where I put my foot. Okay, we're going up these boulders, and especially coming down... That was the hardest part for me, and Vale had a great time, but on my back, just hard, the hardest part for me was trying to figure out which way to go to get down, and I only fell once, so that was fantastic. No, I just slipped a little bit. It wasn't a fall, and uh, I almost lost a water bottle, but I got my kid too, so that's good. Um, we, so we, we, get these, we get these really cool opportunities sometimes. Maybe, maybe you think if you've been to like somewhere like the Grand Canyon, Go to the Grand Canyon. If you've been there, you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. You look out, and it's so far away. Even if you're on the edge, but everything is so far away. It's a little bit hazy, and it, it kind of looks like a postcard. Like, man, is this, this real? Just don't step into the postcard. Don't try that. It doesn't go well. Uh, but you look out there. You're like, this is amazing. You get this great overview, this, this great overlook of what is going on there at the Grand Canyon or maybe somewhere else you've been, maybe to some real mountains out west or something like that that you've been to and uh, really got to experience this kind of thing. But you also have to be careful where you place your foot. And so as when we were with the youth ministry, we went down the Grand Canyon, we got to uh, go down just part of it. We didn't go the whole way. It's very, very far. Uh, we went down just a little bit. But you have, to, you have to be so careful that you don't get caught looking up when you should be looking down. And so I want to do a little bit of this this morning with Colossians. I I want to give us kind of a grand overview of what's going on here in Colossians. And I want to start getting into the details. I want to start looking at where should, how can, where should we place our feet carefully and walk carefully through the text. But I want to zoom out and give us a big overview picture of what is going on here. 
So, let's do this. Colossians. Why, why did Paul write this letter? What's going on here? Why, why did he write this letter to this church in Colossae? There's no explicit reference to why, but as we read, we can kind of pick up on some things that are going on in Colossae. And he's not as explicit with things as he is in other letters. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give two reasons why he's writing. And one is a kind of big reason why. The second one is kind of a, a remedy for that one thing. Number one, there's a Colossian controversy going on. There's some kind of controversy happening. There was some kind of erroneous teaching that they were being encouraged to resist. Now, what was that teaching? We're not exactly sure the precise definition of this teaching, this philosophy, but if Paul doesn't come out and tell us exactly what is being taught there, maybe he's thinking the best kind of defense is a good offense. So he's kind of generic in some places, but uh, here's why I think he takes this route. Um, Colossae is actually a, a, was very diverse, it's very diverse uh, culturally and therefore religiously. Uh, in the time before Christ, uh, Colossae was along a trade route. And it, w- it was the city of the Lycus Valley for at least five centuries before Christ. Many different religious and philosophical viewpoints would thrive in this kind of city as, as we're moving in, people are moving in and out of this city all the time, and it's just growing metropolis, cosmopolitan kind of city. So many different religious and political uh, and philosophical viewpoints, probably all mixed together. So the method is this. Maybe we can, as we look at Colossians, maybe we can, we could look at some of the things um, that Paul is saying in rebuttal to these things, to the false teaching. And maybe we can gather information on when, why he's speaking, what he's saying, why he's, what he's speaking against. So look with me in chapter 2. Look at me in chapter 2. I don't normally do too many overviews like this, but I think this is very helpful, especially because I really like the surprise as you move through a story or move through a letter. I really like that element of surprise, especially as you go through the Gospels and things like that. But in Colossians, a book that was probably meant to be read at one sitting, we're going to look at an overview and kind of go around a little bit, and then we're going to come back to the beginning. It's going to, it's going to set us right. So look at chapter 2. Look at verse 4. As we think about... What is this philosophy that is being proclaimed is, is, trying to, um, is trying to seduce believers? What is this philosophy? What is being taught? Look at chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Look at verse 16, chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, 
by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So these warnings here are, are somewhat generic. You see him say things like, he never refers to a false teacher in particular. He says things like, no one, words no one or anyone. You see that in, in verses 2 and verse 18. No one, let no one do these things or don't let anybody do these things in chapter 2, verses 8 and 16. He simply addresses a philosophy in chapter 2, verse 8. A philosophy, empty deceit, that is according to a human tradition. There's a worldly influence here, he says, but there's also a Jewish kind of influence. A, a, a pressure to observe certain days and certain kinds of diet. Also, there's this focus on the unseen. This worship of angels and visions. Um, apparently, the believers here are being faced, being faced with an attractive kind of teaching or attractive kind of, kinds of teachings that they were trying to lure them away from the truth. Look at verse 8 again, chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the, uh, to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't be taken captive, he says in chapter 2, verse, six, verse 16. Don't let people pass judgment on you. Don't let them pressure you. Do you feel that? That feel that if you don't believe this, you're going to be, I mean, are you serious? Are you really going to do that? You're going to pass judgment upon somebody because they're not believing this. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Chapter 2, verse 18. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Do you feel that pressure? Like, if you're not in what we're doing, you're disqualified. You're not a part of us. That's what's going on here. Do, do we see this kind of teaching in our day? Do we see a kind of teaching that is attractive? Do we see maybe a movement that we think, man, that, that actually sounds kind of, we could be tempted to think, that actually sounds kind of good. They may use the same Bible we use. They may use the same passage of scripture that we use and just twist it just a little bit. To make it sound so attractive. Teaching that sounds so good, but they twist the text for its own good. Think of the health wealth gospel. The so-called gospel is no gospel at all. If you just have enough faith, you'll get whatever you want. Like you can move a mountain. See how they twist that verse? Get whatever you want. You're not healthy? No, I'm not faith. You don't, you don't have this kind of car or this kind of home? You don't have enough faith. You see how they, they twist that? But if you do have enough faith, you can get whatever you want. God wants you to get whatever you want. He is for you, ultimately. And I say, no, no. He's not for you, ultimately. He's for himself, ultimately. We, we, can, have, we can find ourselves drawn to movements or teachings simply because of some kind of, of attraction factor or because of its popularity in our culture. Look at 2 Timothy 4. My mind automatically goes to this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen. I, or yeah, go there. Go there. Check this out. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll start reading in verse 1. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge living the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what are you saying? saying Paul saying to Timothy, preach the word. Give people the word of God. He had just got done saying that all scripture is breathed out by God. It is sufficient for all things spiritual. That's what he's saying here. And then he said, so charge people with that word. Charge them. Preach it to them. Why? Well, look at verse 3. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Are we tempted that way? Are we tempted to listen for certain kinds of teaching and preaching because it that makes me feel good? It, 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 it goes with what I am thinking. Or do we follow Christ? Do we follow after the truth? So there's some kind of there's some kind of attraction to different kinds of philosophies here in Colossae, and Paul is saying, don't go after, don't be deceived by these things, don't don't be lured by these things, don't don't feel like you're being judged by those people. So Paul criticizes false teachers in, back in Colossians, criticizes false teachers for their arrogance here in chapter 2, verse 18. For they're, they're puffed up without reason. They think they have a fantastic alternative teaching from the truth, the gospel. And they're very proud of it. They're, they're putting pressure on the Colossian believers to follow suit. They're putting pressure on them. Follow this way. Go this way. Paul says, don't let them pass judgment. Or disqualify you. They have nothing. These erroneous teachings, whatever they may be, have the potential to move us away from the hope that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 23. And from Christ himself, who is the, who is the source of our spiritual life. Chapter 2, verse 19. He gives us life and he gives us strength to grow. So that first thing, there's this controversy going. We don't even know exactly what the controversy is. Probably a mixture of lots of different philosophies because of the the, the uh, diversity of the people there in Colossae. A lot of things going on there. We don't know exactly what that thing is. Maybe there's a lot of different things happening. What's the remedy? What do we do? What does he tell people to do? What what? How should we be thinking through this? How should the Colossians be thinking through this? Well, what Paul does. Points us to Christ. He points us to Christ. This is the method to fight off these and any false teaching. A high Christology, a high view of Christ, as if all we really need is Christ. Do we believe that? This letter presents a high Christology. Look at chapter 1 with me in verse 15. high view of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see this? Do you see this Christ? Do you see him? We, we don't need this other stuff, this extra thing that we could add on to please our own, uh, our own uh, wishes. We need Christ. Those silly kind of humanistic, philosophical, fake additions to the truth, they're wrong. And they're damnable. They, they may have put, uh, they may put tons of social pressure on us. We may feel pressure to do a certain thing, to believe a certain way. Follow this or that because it's trending or it's popular among this group of friends or this group of people. All we need is Christ. He is above all creation. He created all things. All things. says it a few times in that section we just read. He created all things. He created all things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authority. He created all of those things. If someone has authority, it's not because they're great. It's because Christ is great. He created this thing. All things were created through him. I love this. For Christ. He holds all these things together. He is the head of the church. Not any man. He is the head of the church. He is preeminent. He is supreme. He is everything. He is God. And he's reconciling all things to himself, making peace by the blood of the cross. Why would we think we need something else? Why would we need why would we think we need some kind of addition to that? Christ is sufficient. He's all we not not sufficient in like, you know, well, that job was pretty sufficient. Not that, not that kind of sufficient. Like he is he is all we need. Christ is all we need. We need. We are full in Him. Look at chapter two, verse nine. I love this. Right after he talks about this in, chapter, in verse eight, he says, "See that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." Look at verse nine. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Doug Moose says this, there can be, there can then be no doubt about Paul's intention to make the centrality and the supremacy of Christ a central plank in his response to the false teachers. So whatever they're teaching, whatever they're teaching, whatever they're asking you to add on, doesn't matter. Follow Christ. A high Christology keeps us from falling prey to false teaching. A high Christology keeps us from falling prey to false teaching. And he will show us how to live. And that, that's the rest of this book. He, he presents a high Christology and then moves into this false teaching that might be happening there in Colossae. And then he says, this is how you should live. This is how you should live. So chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. Verse 1. 
We just heard this, didn't we? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who happens to be your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. We, we will want to put off the old and put on the new. A, a high Christology helps us in response to false teachers, but also causes us to act righteously. To, to help, helps us to hate sin and to love righteousness. Because we love Christ so much, we have a high view of who Christ is. A high view of who Christ is. So, with that in mind, look with me in chapter 1. So, do we see what's going on here? There's false teaching in Colossae. And... These human traditions, these human, humanistic kind of philosophies, and Paul is saying, go after Christ. Love Christ. Christ is greater than all of those things. In fact, he's in charge of everything. Chapter 1, verse 1. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, Acts 9, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, uh, when you compare this greeting with other greetings that Paul has in his other letters, um, it contains a lot of the normal elements of, of a Pauline greeting. Um, he, he usually expands significantly on a certain part or certain elements of it, but he keeps it really short and concise here. Um, there, there is a little bit of, of new things that are added here, different kinds of things in this, uh, but there's not much expansion here. They're just minor things, but I want to bring them out because I think they're significant. A couple of things to note here in this greeting. Notice the family kind of language. Notice the family kind of language. Brothers. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our father. Timothy is our brother. So there's a family kind of feel here because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though the Apostle Paul has probably not even met these people. Now, they are in Colossae, but more significantly, they are in Christ. Verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. They're in Colossae, but in, they're in Christ more significantly. There's, when you're in Christ, there's a reorientation, a re way you think about where you live. So you might be in America, but more significantly, you're in Christ. You might be in Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Hampton Roads, but more significantly, you're in Christ. Faithful. This word faithful to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. 
It's, this is unique to uh, Colossians uh, in Pauline greetings. They really are faithful brothers. He's writing this encouraging letter, pushing them, encouraging them, but they are faithful brothers. They're ready to hear. Are we ready to hear? They really are faithful brothers. And Paul is going to remind them to keep on. Christ is all you need. Keep on. Christ is all you need. And then, of course, you have Pauline, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace and peace. You have the the Christian greeting and the kind of Jewish kind of greeting as well. This peace, shalom, grace and peace from God our Father. Now, there's a textual variant here. There's a couple translations that add and from our Lord Jesus Christ. For a couple of reasons, this is added. There are some later manuscripts that have this in there. Uh, I think it, uh, the, the testimony of the shorter reading is stronger. And it makes sense that it would have been added because, because this is what Paul says a lot. Paul usually says a lot of times, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that a lot, a lot of his greetings. And you would think in a book that's all about the high view of Christ that he would say that. It makes sense that it would be in there. The Net Bible has a helpful note on this edition. Uh, Paul normally has this in there, and especially in light of the, this Christological kind of focus here in this, this letter, you would think that Paul would have this phrase in there. But I think he has something else in mind. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Look at the very next verse. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He's reminding us, he's starting out with the importance of God, the Father. A high view of Christ starts with a high view of God, the Father, from whom Christ came. Let me say that again. A high view of Christ... A high Christology starts with a high view of God the Father from whom Christ came. If we don't start with a high view of God the Father, then it doesn't matter if we say that things like, well, he's the in, he is the image of the invisible God, or that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So that a few times already. Um, If we don't start with a high view of God, then it doesn't matter much when we say things like that about who Christ is in relation to God. One commentator says this, Perhaps in a letter that elevates Christ, Paul wants at the outset to anchor the person of Christ firmly to God the Father. To God the Father. We always thank God the Father. Move, we move right into um, the typical of Paul, where he, uh, the next section of thanksgiving. And who does Paul thank? Paul always thanks one person, God. His thanks is to God. Do we do that? Do we thank God for things? We live lives of thanksgiving to God. Paul and Timothy here are thanking God from uh, from uh, thanking God 
because they have, for them, because they have heard of their faith, their love, and their hope. Read with me. We also, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which, was, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It, has, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, look here. Uh, these, he says, Paul and Timothy are thanking God because they have seen these things in the Colossian believers. And they have, they have heard of these things in the Colossian believers, Should say. Faith, love, and hope. You recognize these things, don't you? These are kind of the three cardinal Christian virtues that we see all over the New Testament. Faith. Faith, love, and hope. Start with faith. Since we've heard of your faith. Your faith in whom? In Christ Jesus. Faith is how we get grace. It's how we get access to this Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works that man should boast. We have no room to boast because even our faith is a gift from God so that we can have grace. Place your faith in him. We do that. When you place your faith in him, we, we get access to the one who has created all things. We get access to God himself if we place our faith in him. Look at chapter 2, verse 9 again. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority he is above all things he is over all things he's ruling over all things authoritative over all things and we can have access to him how through faith do you believe do you want christ do you want this christ do you want this kind of god do you want this kind of lord master Will you place your faith in him? Trust in him with your life. Trust alone in Christ. Don't trust in these outside philosophies that are coming in. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Love. Love for all the saints. So since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Love for all the saints. Do we love all the saints? Not just a feeling or an emotion. It's not something that we fall into. By happenstance, it's an action. Do we love? Do we lay down our lives for our friends? Do we love the saints? Do we pursue people? Do we love the people in this room? Hope. Faith, love, and hope. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So, 
Back up. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. This is the gospel. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven. Now, Paul often uses this, this word hope to refer to an attitude of hope, a, a way, an attitude that we have of hope. But here, however, it is pretty clearly, it pretty clearly denotes which, that which Christians hope for. The totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. Because we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. We believe that. Do we have faith and love because we have hope? So, just a few points of application. We think through these things. We're going we're gonna to move through the rest of this, this section here tonight, this evening. And just go through it because of the hope we have in heaven. And that hope is the gospel. That is the truth. That we have. Just a few points of application. Number one. Don't be drawn in by false teaching. Don't be drawn in by false teaching. There's, there's lots of false teaching out there. And it's very diverse. And we, um, we can sometimes uh, um, be attracted to certain kinds of teaching because they have maybe a certain kind of attraction factor that might... And that kind of makes me feel good for a moment. But we don't live by our feelings, do we? We live by what's true. We live by what's true. How do we know what's true? We study the Word. We know the Word. Throughout this text, you're going to see. Look down with me in chapter 1, verse... Uh, uh, start with me in verse 9. And from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with what? Knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom. And understanding, so that so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do we know the Word? Do we study the Word? Do we take the time to study the Word? Are we, or are we reading the Word just looking for one little phrase that pops out at us? Or are we digging and saying, what is this all about? What is it about? Most of all, most of all, we want to know Christ. We want to know Christ. How do, we, how do we know Christ? Through his word. He's there. We go hard after the word because we want to get to the God that's behind the word. We want to know God better. We want to know Christ better. Don't be drawn in by false teaching. Pursue the word of God. Pursue Christ. Number two, live like Christ is everything. Is he the pursuit of my life? Is he the ruler and authority of my life? Or do we find ourselves living for someone else? So we, we look at this text, these great things about who Christ is, the, the image of the invisible God, the first one of all creation, when he created everything, he holds everything together, and what do we say? So what? Okay, now that we have the information, great. Do we actually live like we believe that to be true? Like he really is in control of everything. He really is everything for us. Is he the pursuit of my life? Is he where I find true joy? 
do we find ourselves living for something else? We find ourselves pursuing something else as if it is greater than our Lord. Isn't it great that we get to serve a good Lord? We are in a slave-master kind of relationship with a good, loving master who is in control of all things. And wouldn't it be a privilege for us to follow someone like that? How do we do that? Number three, place your faith in Christ. Place your faith in Christ. Decide now. Decide now that you're going to trust in him. Decide now that he is going to be your life. You're going to follow hard after him. Well, why, why would I listen to him? I love what Matt Chandler said one time. He said, um, he created this thing. He knows how it works. Let's go hard after him. Place your faith in him. Trust him with your life. If any man wants to come after me, Christ says, let him deny himself, take up the cross, follow me. You ready to do that? You, you ready to do that? Place your faith in Christ. And it's not just a one-time event. We keep on faith and we keep on believing. But if you have not decided, can I just plead with you? Follow this Christ. Follow him. Place your faith in Christ. Number four, love your brothers and sisters. Love the saints. They're our brothers and sisters. We've heard of our faith in Christ and of the love that we have for you have for all the saints. Do we love our brothers and sisters? Christ calls us to do four things for our enemies. Love them, pray for them, bless them, and do good to them. And just so you know, if they're your brother and sister, they're not your enemy. They're your brother and they're your sister. We love them. I mean, we have to be so careful with our words. Do we bless with our words, our brothers and our sisters in this room. We're looking for ways to bless. We're looking for ways to do good. We're looking for ways to show them love. And not just this kind of feeling that I have for a brother. So I have a brother, two brothers, a younger brother that was a younger brother to me. And we shared a room. And you know how that goes sometimes when the older brother's a bad brother. And uh, I would say, yeah, I love my brother. I love my brother. Like if someone messed with my brother, I'd mess with that person. They just, you know, don't mess with my brother. I love my brother. But did I ever show my brother I loved him? Ever live like I believe that? Do we do that here? Not just a feeling. But are we living like we love our brothers and sisters in this room? And I'm so thankful that I have friends here that are loving towards me. Um, it's, it's a great thing when we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are loving each other, unified in the gospel. Look down in verse 8. It's made known to us of your love 
in the Spirit. A spiritual kind of love for each other. Are we doing that? We live like we believe we should be loving towards each other. Last thing. We have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. That's why we have faith. That's why we have love. Because we have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. We're not living for the here and now. We're setting our minds on things that are above. We have a hope that everything will be reconciled. That we will receive all the blessings from Christ Jesus, our Master. Do we believe that? Do we live like we believe that? We really do have a hope. It is sure. Christ has accomplished it and is accomplishing it. Do we live like we have a hope in heaven for us? Of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for all that you do in our lives. When we look at who Jesus is, we're humbled. We're convicted of not following our great God, who is Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us, Lord, not to be drawn in or drawn away from the truth that is the gospel by deceivers, by false teaching that itches our ears and makes us feel good. We go hard after the truth that is the gospel. Help us to live like Jesus is our all. Like, all I have is Christ, and Jesus is my life. We want to live like that. So often we're tempted to think that this life is all about me. Will you forgive us of this? Forgive us of this self-gratifying kind of living. And may we live lives that are pointed towards you our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to continue to believe, to keep on believing. If there's anyone in here who has not placed their faith in Christ, that they would choose to do that now. And in the quietness of this moment, that they would choose to follow hard after this great Savior. They would give up trying to follow after themselves. They'd follow after you. They would lose their lives in Christ. And Lord, 
Will you help us to keep on living like that? Help us to love our brothers and sisters with sincere love. Help us be looking for ways that we can serve our brothers and sisters. To show them love. To demonstrate our love for them. Because of your love for us. And when they do us wrong, may we love them. Be ready to forgive. Just like you are. So help us to emulate your kind of love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ for whom you have died. Thank you for this hope that we have in heaven. This truth, this message of the gospel, this true good news. Thank you that we have a hope in heaven where we will receive the blessing of being with our great God. We'll be with this Jesus Christ that we have been living for and longing for. Come, Lord. Come quickly. We love you. We want to live like we believe these things. So will you give us strength? Give us endurance. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to this message together by standing and singing the final verse of In Christ Alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me.